Thank you, worship team. I love that song. Love that song. And that was the first time I think we've sung it here at uh, Grace. And I think it went well. I think we should sing it again. So good morning. If uh, I haven't met you or you don't know me, my name is Jason April. I am the assistant pastor here at Grace. Our senior pastor, Ryan Baker, is on vacation. He should be finishing that up this week, and then he'll go into a couple of study weeks as he prepares for the fall. So he will be back with us in the pulpit on August 1st, uh, right before that foster care night. So that'll be great. If you've been with us at all this summer, uh, then you should know that we've been going through a short series on the Psalms. And the Psalms are actually, they're a really good um, sermon series for the summer because a lot of people are in and out in the summer. And it's hard to really lock into a one story like if you were to do a gospel. But with the Psalms, a lot of them, most of them actually, are one-off Psalms. So last week, we did Psalm 46, and that was all about making God our refuge and our strength and uh, seeing Him as our only hope and our only salvation. This week, we're doing a Psalm of Praise, and it's uh, Psalm 33, um, and it should be a lot of fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun anyway. So let's uh, go to God in a word of prayer, and then we'll start. Father, we love you so much, so much. It's a great and glorious thing, Lord, that you have called us here to praise your name, to worship you. Because you know, Lord, that as we praise you, as we worship you, as we make you big, as we dwell on the great and glorious work that you have done in all of creation, the work of salvation in us. You use this time to heal us. You use this time to bring us refreshing, to reset us for our next week, to give us energy, Lord. How great a God are you that you would care so much about us that you want to do that for us. Father, we praise you. Lord, as we go to this time of study, we do pray that Holy Spirit be present. May he be active and at work in opening our minds, enlivening our hearts, making us receptive to your word. Father, thank you so much sending your great son, our brother, to us to redeem us. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, like I said, today we'll be doing Psalm 33, and uh, it's one of the lesser known psalms, I think, at least. You know, I, a little while ago, several years back, I was reading through the psalms uh, about every three months. And that was just part of my devotional and study plan. And so I went through the, the Psalms probably, I don't know, 10, 12 times during that time. 
I mean, it was a great time. But when I went hunting, I knew I wanted to do a psalm of praise, but when I went hunting for a psalm of praise to do, I stumbled upon Psalm 33, and honestly, I couldn't remember reading it before. And I picked it primarily because in it, David, like, he uses a ton of verses to tell us exactly why we should praise God, what we should praise God for. And I just thought it was great. You know, it's something that we don't hear a lot about. So before we dive in to, to actually reading the psalm, I mean, it's, it's good to clarify just because, you know, Christianese is a real thing. And um, what do we mean by praise? You know, a lot of times praise is confused with worship and, um, you know, they're not quite the same thing. So what does it mean to praise someone? Well, we know it kind of intuitively. We use it every day whenever we praise our children or our boss praises us. It means that they are talking us up or we're talking someone else up. It means that someone's coming to you and saying, good job. And uh, it's something that Scripture tells us that we're kind of built for. That every human on the face of the planet is built to praise God, is built to give praise and to receive praise. And in fact, it's, it's so necessary for us, so integral in our being, that one of the most destructive things that you can do as someone in authority over someone else is never to praise them. You know, if you think of the parent that never praises their child... Well, all they receive then is correction and criticism, and they never hear from their parents, good job. And they're going to develop a complex. They're going to think that they just don't measure up, that there's nothing good about them. The same thing happens, you know, for instance, if you have someone in your employee, or you're an employee, and your boss just never says good job to you, never gives you any word of praise, only correction. You're going to think you're not very good at your job. Even if you are, that's what you're going to think. It's a destructive thing not to give it. It's also a destructive not to receive it. Um, so what does it mean then to praise God? Well, again, just going off of what we just said it's to talk him up it's to talk him up to ourselves it's to talk him up to other people and it's to make a big deal out of who he is and out of what he's done in history and in fact the very next psalm psalm 34 verse 1 it says that we should all be praising god all the time it says i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth There's a problem with that. Have you, have you noticed it yet? We don't always feel like praising him. We're called to praise him. We're called to praise him with everything that we do. With every breath, we're to continually make him big. But something gets in the way. Actually, a lot of things can get in the way. You know... Back before coming to church was my job, I remember getting up 
on Sunday mornings, and probably about half of the time, I would feel like not coming. You know, I felt my sin very closely, and I didn't want to come. I looked around, I read news in the morning, I saw a great amount of suffering in the world, and I didn't want to come, and I didn't want to praise, and, or even just a small thing, like me offending somebody at church or somebody else offending me, would make me not want to come. Things got in the way of me coming, got in the way of me praising. And I would be very surprised if you haven't felt like that before. If there hasn't been a Sunday that you've gotten up and thought, mm, I think I'll stay home. I, I'm not really feeling very joyful this morning. And if not, go ahead and go to sleep. It's fine. I'm, I'm not going to be offended. Um, but if that is true, I have some good news for you because we're actually going to talk all about that. And we're going to talk about where we find our joy and how we praise God. So let's turn to the psalm. Everyone, please stand. Like I said last week, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I think we should stand when we read the Bible. All right, Psalm 33. It'll be on the screen behind me. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of, all, of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love. That he may deliver their soul from death. And keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, 
and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. It stands forever. So let's turn our attention to it. You may be, just, may be seated. So today we're going to look at three things from this psalm. We're going to look at how we should praise, and we're going to look at what we should praise about God. And we're going to look at where we find our motivation to praise God. So, the first one, how should we praise then? Um, you kind of see this in verses 1 through 3. I'll go ahead and read them again just to refresh your memory. Uh, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody with him, to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So, the thing that the, the psalmist has said here, and it's probably David who wrote this song. We're actually going to be assuming that it is, even though we're not told that it is. Um, and I'll get into that more later. But um, how should we praise? It's kind of a full body thing. We shout for joy. We give thanks with instruments. We play skillfully. We sing to God new songs with loud shouts. It's, it's a full body experience. And the word shout here can actually refer to, to loud singing. And so it's not just getting up and going, ah! But it can just mean that too. I mean, that's fine if that's your worship style. Just We're Presbyterian. Be conscious of that. Um, but the exuberant outbursts more seriously that it can refer to is saying things like hallelujah. Hallelujah is actually, it's a compound word. It's a Hebrew word. It means, comes from halal. And it's hallelu, which means praise. Yah, which is a short word for Yahweh. Which means every time you hear hallelujah and you hear that song, hallelujah, what they're actually saying is praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. I thought that's pretty cool when I learned that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the outburst that we're talking about. And it's not a quiet thing. Praising in David's mind here isn't something that's quiet or meek. Um, so, as a for instance, okay, it's not just going through the motions. We do, uh, at the after the sermon, after the confession of faith, we have this uh, liturgy here, and after all of that is done, before the final song, we have the doxology, okay? And we sing the doxology, and kind of approaching it in kind of a quiet, timid way, half-hearted. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah, that's not what David envisions here. That's not praising. Even though we're saying that it's praising, it's praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
It's a whole body experience. It's raising your hands. It's getting into the worship, actually making God big. Thank you for bearing with my singing. I know it's bad. So, the thing is, it's not just spontaneous, and it's not just guided by fleeting emotion, though. And we know that from verse 3. Okay, so he says, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now, what's required to sing to the Lord a new song? Halfway rhetorical there. You have to have someone to write the song. And more than that, after someone writes the song and the melody, they have to teach it to somebody in order to sing. It's an intentional thing, and it takes forethought. Playing skillfully on the guitar. Like, I cannot play skillfully on the guitar. I can barely play the guitar. But, Allie, Roger, Biru on the piano, they get up here every week and they practice. Singing with sweet, sweet melodies. Angie is very good at that, and she practices every week. It's an intentional thing. It takes time and effort. It's not just guided by our momentary emotions. So, okay, so that's, that's how David envisions us pray, praising God. So, what does David say that we should praise God about? Well, that's actually... Most of the psalm is taken up with that. So the first three verses and the last three verses kind of bookends the psalm. And everything in the middle is about praising God and all of the various points that we can use to praise. And in just broadly speaking, there are two categories of this. It's praising God for who he is and praising God for how he behaves, how he acts in history, what he's done. And so we see, you know, in, for who he is, in verses 4 and 5, the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. His word is upright. That means it's righteous. It's true. It's reliable. All of his work is done in faithfulness. That means that everything that he says he's going to do, that's what he does. And you can trust him because of that. He loves righteousness. He loves justice. He doesn't love injustice. He doesn't love evil. And that's important. It's important because I should probably don't have to explain it, but it would be a bad thing if God really loved injustice or didn't love justice. No, every evil act will bring about a just condemnation. Nobody's going to get away with anything. His steadfast love for fills the world. That means everything that you look at, everything that you see, everything that you experience in the world in some way 
reflects the love of God. Even if it's hard to see it, we talked about that a little bit last week. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants stand, all of its inhabitants stand in awe of him. It's weird to think about praising God because he's fearful, I think. And some people have tried to get around this by saying, well, when it says the fear of the Lord, it, it actually just means awe. And, you know, that's actually, that's in there. But that's not completely it. So one of my favorite movies, uh, especially from my childhood, but after that too, uh, is The Princess Bride. Do you know that movie? So Carrie Elwes, he stars opposite of Andre the Giant. And Andre the Giant, like Carrie Elwes is not a small man. He's not huge. He's not small. You know, he's like 5'10", 5'11", normal build, normal frame, normal build. But he stands next to Andre the Giant. And if I were to do that, I would be terrified. Because if that dude tripped and fell on me, I would die. And I'm not saying that God is like Andre the Giant. No, I'm saying God is much, 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 much bigger, more powerful than Andre the Giant. It brings to mind C.S. Lewis's famous quote from The Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe. And I'm going to butcher it, so please don't hunt me down. But Lucy is talking uh, to... I forget the guy's name. Starts with a T. Anyone? Tumpkins? Tumness. Tumness. Lucy is talking to Tumness. And she has found out that Aslan is a lion. And she's worried. She's fearful. And she goes to him and says, Tumness, and says, He's a lion. Is, is he safe? And his reply was, no, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. Lions aren't safe, but they're good. He is good. That's better than being safe. And that's how David approaches God here. That God is big. God is fearful. God is awe-inspiring. And yet, everything that we just said before is still true. God is trustworthy, faithful, just good, righteous. The other way that David praises God in the psalm, and I'll kind of go quickly through these, is uh, his acts in history. Okay, so if you look at verses 6 and 7, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. He's praising God right there for creating the world. He's hearkening back to Genesis 1 when the Lord created everything by speaking a word. And then it, he goes down in verse 9 and he says, He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And theologians have a, a, a great, huge theological word for that. It's called providence. You may have heard of it. I don't know. But providence is God's good governing of the entirety of the world. It is his sovereign rule over the world. And David is saying not only did he create everything, he also upholds everything by the word of his power. 
and that is to be praised. He frustrates the plans of the people and the nations. Again, it seems weird that we would say that's a good thing, but it is a good thing because nations and people are not always good because they are not God. They sometimes have very bad plans, even if they're well-intentioned. They sometimes have very evil plans that are not actually well-intentioned at all. And yet, the Lord's plans are the ones that always stand. The plans of nation only stand if they actually line up with the plans of God. So, that's kind of the what. What about God do we praise? But why? Why does David say that we should praise God? What is our motivation if we go back to verses one through three i mean kind of the first thing that commentators will notice is that in one through three all of the verbs are in the imperative that means everything in there is commanded shout for joy give thanks make melody sing to him play skillfully and so the why if we're just looking for the nuts and bolts reason right there is because God commanded it. But again, that doesn't really solve the problem. Because just because something is commanded doesn't mean that we can always do it. You can't shout for joy unless you actually feel joy. You cannot give thanks to the Lord properly unless you feel thankful. And David goes on like I said, at the end of the psalm, to ground this just a little bit, starting in verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. So, we have the first three verses, we have the last three verses, they kind of bookend the psalm, and they give the reasons why. Again, though, the problem still stands. Sometimes, I hear you saying, sometimes, I'm impatient, and I don't seek the Lord for help or shelter. We've all seen our hearts kind of sink as we put our trust in other things because our trust in the Lord has faltered. And we all feel when that happens that our hope in His steadfast love is slipping. Maybe this time we say his love will be gone for good. Maybe we start to despair under that oppression that we feel. And so the question is still there. Where's the motivation? Where do we go when we feel like we can't praise? Like we can't make big of God? It's interesting, I think, that Psalm 33 comes right on the heels of Psalm 32. And I know what you're saying. 
You're saying that's actually the normal progression of numbers, Jason. 33 almost always comes after 32, and that's true. But I find it interesting because Psalm 32 is a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of contrition and confession and repentance, and it's actually reflecting back on Psalm 51. And David here, in this psalm, after his time of confession and repentance, after he has gone to the Lord in contrition, he actually uh, turns the psalm right at the end into this heartfelt, huge motion of praise. And the reason why it's interesting that it comes before 33 is because it seems like the psalm doesn't stop there. It seems like David just thought, I have so much praise in me now, it can't be contained in this in this song, I have to go on and write something else. And so it overflows into a psalm that's entirely about the praise of God. And we see then that when David knew that his sins were forgiven, then he found that motivation to praise. In fact, he didn't even have to go look for it. It was just there naturally. He was moved to praise, and overwhelmingly so. And so, first, in order for us to find our motivation, find out how we can praise when we just can't seem to praise, we look at our forgivenness. We look at God's forgiveness for us, to us, of all of our sins. And it's in that place that we find the motivation to praise God freshly and rightly. It's in that story, and we see it most profoundly in his salvation at the cross. Because God did not leave us in our sad state of sin and misery no, he sent his son to redeem us. Jesus came oh so willingly, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, taking on our flesh, living the perfect life for us, dying the sinner's death for us, that he might claim us as family that he might wash us in his blood. And the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our friend, that one that Jesus speaks of in John chapters 14 and 16 and 17, he comes to us, he dwells in us, he binds us so close to Jesus that in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, God, you know, Jesus is praying to God and his prayer is that we will be one together with him. As he is one with the Father, that's how closely the Holy Spirit binds us to our great Savior. Amen. Amen. Praise him. That is a wonderful and glorious thing. But you know what? Even as wonderful and as glorious as that is, there is something else that when taken together with it, just magnifies our redemption on the cross. 
It magnifies our motivation for praise. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the sermon, I told you, you know, giving praise is something we're built for. Receiving praise is also something that we're built for. In fact, not receiving praise can be very destructive to us. There's, there's a benediction that is often given in our church. And you'll probably remember it. It comes from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You hear that. God is singing praise over you. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. When God looks at you, he looks at his son of whom he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he sings that over you. That is what we are told in scripture. And he is faithful and amazing. And that is how he regards you. And if that doesn't move you to praise him, I honestly don't know what will. Because he loves you so much. Yes. Amen. So, just some practical tips. For when you wake up on Sunday and you don't feel like coming to church. I would just read real quick. It doesn't take very long. Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because they just diagnose your condition so well. How much of a sinner you are. How Jesus died for you. How God claimed you before the foundation of the world. And how now nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Sing a praise song to yourself. That's a really good way. Go to a time of confession with the Lord and just tell him, Lord, I'm not feeling it. I don't feel like coming. I don't feel like praising you. For whatever reason. Whatever reason you have, whether it's your own sin or your hard-heartedness, just go to him. He will answer. He is faithful. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Lord, it is an amazing thing that you built us to praise and to get praise. And you built us to praise you because you know that fixing our heart on anything else is going to be destructive for us. And so you help us do it by letting us praise you and letting us see your magnificence. And you don't stop there, Lord. You heap praise upon us, though we don't deserve it just because you love us and you love Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much.
before, not counting equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead coming to us, for us, so that you might bring us back to the Father. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for taking up residence within us, within our hearts. Thank you so much for binding us to our great Savior, our glorious brother, our Prince of Peace and Redeemer. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.